Hello, Stitchers. Welcome to Stitch Please, the official podcast of Black Women Stitch, the sewing group where Black Lives Matter. I'm your host, Lisa Woolfork. I'm a fourth-generation sewing enthusiast with more than 20 years of sewing experience. I am looking forward to today's conversation, so sit back, relax, and get ready to get your stitch together. everybody and welcome to today's episode of the Stitch Please podcast. I'm your host Lisa Woolfork and I am glad as always to be here with you. Today we have a, a kind of a strange episode I would imagine. It's about sewing trash. I guess we could say this is going to be a trash talk episode. Now this isn't trash talk in the sense of talking shit about other people because I don't like to do that. But I am talking about your sewing trash. How do you maintain and keep, and why you should, a designated sewing trash receptacle in your sewing space? Believe it or not, this could be a really great opportunity and a space for you to build some sustainability into your sewing practice. So for today's episode, we're going to talk about how to build a good sewing trash or a scrap bin, if you don't like to think about, to, to think about it as, as trash. We're going to talk about how to build a good sewing, sewing scrap bin, why we need one. And then in the second half of the episode, I'm going to talk about all the things you can make from the things in your scrap bin, why it is so important to have one. So let's get started with how to build a scrap bin. Now, normally we know that sewing makes a lot of waste. And this comes from the very beginnings of a sewing project. So, for example, if you are sewing a pattern and you take the pattern out of the envelope, you unfold the tissue paper, then then you cut out that um, that pattern piece that you need. You cut out all your pattern pieces. And of course, if you listen to previous episodes of the podcast, you know that you then have to press those so they're nice and straight and get a bit of static cling and that then you can cut out your fabrics. But what you've left behind is the paper pattern envelope. You've left behind a lot of little off-cut pieces of, of the tissue paper Similarly, if you're doing PDF patterns, whether you buy a large AO format PDF pattern and trace it off or cut it, or you um, tape it together using your own paper, when you cut that pattern out, you're going to end up with a lot of leftover paper. So that's just an example of paper that you won't have anymore, paper you won't use. And so what I do is I put that in my same scrap bin. I will have a use I will have a bunch of I'm look I'm thinking about my scrap bin right now and if you listen to this episode and if you are a Patreon subscriber you there's a companion video to this episode where I talk specifically about some of the things and how I built my scrap bin and what it yields but before we can even get to that possibility of having the scrap bin the scrap bin yield these really fun things for us, we have to build it in such a way that it's a place we're going to want to return to. So when I'm cutting out my patterns, whether it's paper that I've, I've taped together, which as we all know, if you listen to the podcast, I do not do a lot of, I cannot 
tape patterns together. Taping patterns together reduces my will to live. So I am unable to tape patterns. But for a small little tiny thing, for like a pair of panties or a bra that doesn't require much taping, I will tape them. But then you have to trace it and then you cut it out or you, you know, you might cut it or trim it to make it smaller. That's a bunch of paper that you'll have left over. So those are the things that I put in my scrap bin. So what when I'm thinking about how to build my scrap bin, I want to make sure that this will actually be a re a resource, right? It sounds very strange. Who is using trash as resource? Well, people who believe in sustainability, people who believe that, you know, that things should have use beyond a single instance. And so this is something I've been able to build over time. And I learned this at the very beginning of my sewing, that when you sew, it's very important to have a scrap container where all you put in it is sewing trash, and by sewing trash, I mean excess tissue paper pieces, excess um, regular paper if you're taping together PDF patterns. Once you lay down your pattern on top of your fabric, and we know this because we folded a piece of fabric in half, you, you put the selvages together, and then you lay your pattern piece down, and then you use your rotary cutter or your scissors to cut it out. Now, you will have what I call offcuts, which are the scrap pieces that are left over after you've cut out your main garment pieces. So you're making a blouse, you've got the collar and cuffs, you've got the sleeves, you've got the front and back bodice, you've got any other pieces you need in terms of like maybe um, a drawstring or a band or something like that. And then you have all these pieces that don't feel like they're useful for much. So do you just throw them in their regular kitchen trash and get rid of them? No, I do not. I put them in my scrap bin. And this is something that I just want to remind everyone of. It becomes really useful to be able to go back into that scrap bin and see the stuff you've made before. So what you're building is not just a resource where you can say, okay, I'm, I'm, and I'll talk about in the ways that a scrap bin can be a resource after the break. But for now, I just want to think about the bin itself, that this is going to be a resource and an archive of what you have made, depending on how long you keep it. So um, I'm really excited to talk about this with you. And I know it's this is I, one of the great things about having a podcast is that I get to nerd out about things that I love and talking to people who similarly love them and enjoy them makes it extra fun. So my scrap bin is a big box that my, one of my printers came in. I actually won a printer. I actually won something. I won a printer a few years ago, and it came in this really lovely, very sturdy box that was purple and white. And I, when I saw the purple, I was like, I must keep this box forever. So what I've done is the box is about 12 inches across, maybe a f two feet long, and... Um, has a pretty good depth to it. So it's a really good, big, sizable box, very sturdy sides. I push the flaps down inside the box to make it easier to access. And I've had the box for maybe two years. And so now the scraps that are in there are not two-year-old scraps. But, um, and so, and we'll talk about that. We'll talk about the disposability. But the reason that I have it is that it's big, it's wide. I can throw a bunch of stuff in there and I don't have to kind of ball it up. I used to keep one and I still do 
I have about two or three little scrap bins. Like, you know, if you need to, you know, drop a thread in or if you're, especially if you're sewing with a serger and all the offcuts from the serger as you are, you know, shredding, not shredding, but you're cutting along the seam allowance, those things that go into that bin, those things um, also go into a, a, um, a scrap bin. But I try to keep the cuts of paper and fabric in one big box. Same is true for interfacing and tracing materials. So these are the things that go in my scrap bin. And I just want to be clear that the scrap bin works because the only thing you ever put in it is sewing things, sewing waste, sewing trash, sewing scraps. Do not throw your you know, the the wrapper of your muffin into your scrap bin. Because even if you don't have pests, even if you don't live in an environment like I do in Virginia, where there could, there's ants and there's, you know, all types of insects that can get inside things, even if you don't have that, which I think most people do, you don't want the oils and the grease and the chocolates or whatever to stain whatever is in the scrap bin. You want to keep it completely as clean as you possibly can. So, and because you want to be able to kind of dig through it if you need to in order to retrieve the things you want. And as you're going through your archive or your resource, you don't want to like come upon an ant, an ant festival that is, you know, enjoying its best life inside your chocolate chip cookie wrappers. So, that's, the, that's the, what's one important tip. I think having a, a very sturdy container, one that makes it easy to see things, one that doesn't crush up all the things you have and no food waste or drink waste or leftover tea bags or uh, coffee grounds or whatever goes in that. It's only for paper, tracing paper, tissue paper, and fabric interfacing to that kind of thing. And again, I'm pretty strict about it because I know that I'm going to want to revisit it. And so for me, maintaining a good, clean scrap bin is a way to set my sewing up for success. And I say this because there's so many things that you can do from the scrap bin that are really, really helpful. So for example, I'm going to talk a bit more about this, but I wanted to talk about first that this is also an exercise in a type of sustainability. And by this, I mean, rather than just cutting the things out and only having your paper pieces left or only having the exact fabrics that you need and then throwing the rest away, instead, you're able to extend the life of that yardage, for example, that you've purchased. You can extend the life of the yardage by saving the little off-cut pieces. And depending on what it is, whether it's a woven fabric or a knit fabric, you're able to, there's certain things you can make from it that I think are really useful. Now, you could also decide if you wanted to keep your paper separate from your scrap bin. Um, If you don't want paper in it, you can have a separate bin for that. There's other ways you can take the paper leftovers and cut them into certain shapes to have them be scrap paper for things to make notes. Um, If you have the leftover tissue paper, I know folks who use that as gift wrap, who use that as stuffing for packaging. Um, If you're shipping something and you have, you know, and you want to kind of, 
you know, you want to put something in there that's going to help the package not bounce around too much, that the tissue paper can help with that. So there's, there's ways to kind of separate this out. But what I wanted to share with you was just to let you know that the, that, a, that sewing from a fat, from a scrap bin gives you a lot of flexibility and can extend the life of the fabrics that you've purchased. And it is, again, as I was saying before, a resource and an archive. So I want to take a very quick break to talk about, um, talk from, from talking about the setup of the, of the scrap bin. Again, just to reiterate, the scrap bin should be clean. You should not put food trash in it and you should use it and, re- and think about it as a resource and an archive. Something it's like it's basically your scrap bin is a gift that you are giving your sewing in the future. And when we get back, we'll talk more specifically about the things that I've been able to make from my scrap bin that I don't think I would have even tried to make or my sewing process would have been very much very much confounded or frustrated if I did not have the scrap pieces available to me that I did. So um, just want to let you know about that. And so we're going to take a very, very quick break. And when we come back, we will talk more about specific projects that I've made from the scrap bin. So stay tuned. The Stitch Please podcast is really growing. Um, I want to thank you for listening to the podcast and ask a favor. If you are listening to this podcast on a medium that allows you to rate it or review it, for example, Apple Podcasts or iTunes, please do so. If you're enjoying the podcast, if you could drop me a five-star rating, if you um, have something to say about the podcast um, and you wanted to include that, a couple sentences in the review box of Apple makes a really big difference in how the podcast is evaluated by Apple, how it becomes more visible. It really is a way to kind of lean into the algorithm that helps to rank podcasts. Um, So if you had time to do that, to drop a little line in the review feature of the podcast, that would be really appreciated and it would help us to grow even further and faster. Welcome back. Thank you so much. You're listening to the Stitch Please podcast, and we're talking today about sewing trash, tales from the scrap bin. In the previous segment, I talked about how you can build a scrap bin, what kind of things you need. And I wanted to share with you a couple more ideas about that before we transition fully into how a scrap bin can help your current and future projects. One of the things I forgot to mention last time was that you can use repurposed or you can repurpose food containers, dry food containers, as part of your scrap bin. So one example I have is, um, you know, they have snack, little tiny snack pack sizes of fruit snacks and pretzels. They come in these very large containers. These are dry foods, very large containers that you can buy either at a, either at a warehouse or at a grocery store. And after you're done with that container, when the kids were little, I would put Legos in them and stuff like that because they had a lid on top and they were very neat. 
Um, and it was just as a way to kind of keep it far, keep it out of recycling or the landfills as long as far as possible. So that's one illustration. So if you wanted to have a scrap bin that was smaller, that you just put, you know, particular things in of certain sizes, or if you were concerned about um, it getting dust on it or something like that, you could you could use that. Similarly, something that I use is um, I like candy, and so I buy. <laughs> This is so bad. I buy very large quantities of super bubble bubble gum from Amazon. Like it comes 300 pieces. This is something that you would give back in the day when you could give candy to children in school. This is the kind of thing that a teacher would keep at her desk. And um, back in the 80s, we would get a treat. And if you did something well, you could get a piece of gum. I took that. Um, as a personal, <laughs> as a as a personal goal, apparently, and I buy these tubs of gum. It's so bad, I admit it, but I enjoy it. And I also um, am able to tell myself that look, I'm really also helping the environment because I can use these as scrap bins. I don't use them as scrap bins because, as I described, I already have a giant, lovely box that I use as a scrap bin. But these are things. These these are just examples of if you wanted something smaller, my scrap bin is pretty big. Um, it is pretty sizable. And if you are a Patreon subscriber, I give you all a bit of a tour of that, um, of that bin and more details about how I use it. But I'm going to go through those right now, but I'm just offering the super bubble giant tub of gum on Amazon. Actually, I will include a link to it in the show notes in case you want to gift it to your girl or give it to yourself. Um, um, so that's, I wanted to mention those, um, food containers as possibilities for, um, for starting a scrap bin. Um, and now we will talk about why you want to do that. Having a scrap bin can be very useful for current and future sewing projects. So I'm going to divide the last part of our episode today into two categories. First, how does a scrap bin help you in your present day project? You've, you've pressed your pattern, you've got it nice and flat, you've, you've put your, fab, your pattern weights down and you've cut it out and now you have the excess of these things and you throw them in your scrap, you're throwing your scrap bin and you are ready to start sewing. First... Here's some reasons you don't want to just dump everything and get rid of it. Here's why you want to keep it. The first thing I find that the scrap bin is used for is as a test fabric. You want to test at times. You want to test some things before you start sewing, and you'll need excess fabric for that. So one of the first things I do when I am trying to diagnose a stitch or just get myself set up for success when I'm sewing is that I will take a a long, narrow strip of that fabric, and I will test the way that my needles work in the serger. I'm really interested in how the serger works on both two layers of fabric when I'm trying to use it as a seam for a garment, as well as on one layer of fabric if I want to use it as either an edge finishing for a facing where I'll just do a three thread narrow or three thread wide on the facing of a garment and then I'll do it again as a rolled hem for something. These are good examples of why you want to keep some scrap fabric around. You can just reach into the bin and for surging, you'll want it to be pretty long because as you're making adjustments, you will see the stitch start to change and you'll want to end in a way that is really like exactly what you want. So you'll test your seam, you'll test the flat um, using the using some of the scrap fi- some of the scrap stuff that you fished out of your of your bin. 
in addition to testing um, the seams on in the seams and the tension for your serger, it's also very good to test the stitch characteristics of your regular sewing machine, making sure you have the right needles, making sure you are using the proper foot. And so sometimes I will just do some some sample stitching on again a single layer of fabric and a double or triple layer of fabric just to make sure I have the right needles and my stitches look correct. In that same same vein, the thread color. You know, sometimes a thread color, you think it's going to look good when you lay one strand on top of your fabric, but then when you do the stitching itself, you don't like how it looks, or it hits different points of the fabric at different times if it's a print. These are ways that you can pull fabric from your scrap bin and bring them forward right into your present day sewing, right for the project. And it's, you, and you know, this is going to be right because it's the exact same fabric you're using for your sewing. Also for buttonholes, you know, I know that some folks struggle with buttonholes and my machine is wonderful with buttonholes. I don't have problems, knock wood, but I do want to practice before I get to my real fabric. Do I need to have um, two layers of interfacing in there or just one layer of interfacing? Do I still like this thread? Am I getting some bunching up? When I go to cut the buttonholes, should I do, should I use the fray check, which is what I always do? I use fray check before I cut them. You know, these are just some small things that might seem like, you know, extra or unnecessary details. But for me, they really help me to understand what I'm dealing with. The final thing that I'll say about how test fabrics can be really helpful is when you are pressing. Again, you're, you know, if hopefully you are keeping a pretty good pressing practice for your sewing and that you're pressing your seams flat and then you're pressing them open depending on, you know, where the seam might appear And you'll want to see before you put that iron down to press that dart if it's too hot. Because I have had this experience where I get like a shine on a fabric and it's because I didn't use a press cloth or whatever. And here it is. It's the front bodice of my garment. And now it has a very odd and obvious triangle shape stain on it that I'm not going to be able to get out. Now, perhaps there is a way to kind of remedy that type of burn. I've not spent a lot of time doing it because I've been able to go into my scrap bin and either fish out a giant new piece. And if I'm not, then I get really sad and have to come up with a whole new solution. But if you take your fabric out of the scrap bin, just a small piece, and then, you know, put a hot iron on it. Don't use a press cloth. Just put an iron on it and see what happens. And if something bad happens, then you know at least it happened to your scrap and not to your real fabric. Of course, again, we should be working. Well, I recommend working with a press cloth, always having a press cloth nearby, not being afraid to use that. That's a great preventative measure. But if you aren't going to do that, do yourself a favor and press that fabric first. Just put it under an iron. And that and that's what the scrap is for, because if it burns, if it messes up or if it's just perfect, you have gained valuable information and you haven't lost anything. So I've talked about the diagnostic benefits of having a scrap bin and to review it's to it's good to test the thread colors, test your stitch characteristics for your regular sewing, making sure you have the right foot and the right needle size. Um, it's great. It's great for testing the serger tension to make sure that your stitches are surging the way that you want them to. It's good to practice your buttonholes, and it's good for pressing um, to make sure that you can test the strength of your iron. 
But, okay, so what if you've done all those things? What if you make a mistake? This is another thing a scrap bin is good for. If you've made a mistake, if for some reason you went ahead and you 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 burned something or you put a hole in something, if you have a scrap bin and depending on how much of the fabric you buy that you have left over, you could just cut a whole new bodice front and you won't you won't have lost anything. I think that that's very helpful. Similarly, sometimes like I might snip something at the seam allowance by accident and I will cover that little snip in fray check and then I will sometimes just sew um, like a patch over it. You know, it sounds a little weird and a little awkward, but because it's so close to the seam allowance, it's really not very detectable and it's better than having an actual hole in my garment. So when it comes to your current sewing projects, using the using your scrap bin can help you prevent mistakes by making sure you have the correct the correct tension on your serge seams, et cetera. And it can help you correct mistakes that you've made. So having a scrap bin is like a bit of insurance while you sew. Um, You could say, oh, I'm going to work on this project and do my best. But if something goes awry, if something gets jammed in the machine, if something unexpected happens, you have recourse because you have the exact same material that you need to fix it. But having a scrap bin isn't good just for preventative and corrective measures. It's also really good for making things just by itself. So now we're going to talk a bit about some of the future projects you can make with if you save or if you save your fabric and if you keep a really good scrap bin. One future project that you can do is to save your selvages. This you this is best for, um, there's two selvages, of course. There's selvages for your woven fabrics and selvages for your knit fabrics. What, saving selvages for your knit fabrics are really good for stabilizing your shoulders for your garments. So you can take your selvage and use it almost like a stay tape because even if you have a stretchy fabric, the selvage of that fabric is often unusable for some people. For some fabrics, you'll find it in a different color even. It looks a little bit different than the main fabric. So if you're working with knits, you can use the selvage to stabilize the shoulder um, or any other straight place you don't want it to wave. So that's one example. But I was thinking in particular, saving the selvages for your woven fabrics. These I have really started to fall in love with. I've been collecting selvages from, especially from quilt fabrics for years. I have actually a separate scrap bin (laughs) just for the selvages from quilted fabrics um, or quilting fabrics or cotton apparel fabrics. Some of in the quilting world, especially, some of these selvages are really beautiful. The selvages have essential information. If you notice like dots of color along the selvage, that's meant to help you match thread 
to the fabric because it has the same dots of color. It's just kind of like an index for the, the colors in the fabric. So that's one of the reasons that people sometimes, that, that companies will sometimes put the selvage dots along the edge of that white edge of the fabric. But there's also other information like where it was printed, who it was designed by. Um, I believe Rashida Coleman-Hale has some really beautiful uh, selvage edges that have like black women with afros on them. Like selvages are very, very cool. They are just cool little mementos and documentation of your sewing. So for me, since I do a lot of for the back to school outfits or our matching family Easter outfits, I tend to always make those out of woven fabrics. I save those selvages and that is like a nice record of that garment. What my plan is, is you can, some people then take the selvages and they sew them all together because when you cut them, one of the edges of the selvages will not ravel. So you can sew them very easily one on top of the other and make a fabric from selvages. This is so popular that one fabric company, Moda, I believe, even created a fabric. They even created a fabric that looks like selvages because quilters were so into keeping a record of the stuff that they'd made. So my plan is to one day make, I don't know, a bag, a pillow, a chair cover, one day by sewing up all these really beautiful selvages. Some of them are from quilts that I've made. Others are from all of our outfits that I've sewn. So that's one thing that I use the scrap bin for, um, like a memory project. Similarly, something I've started doing is making paper pieced versions of the garments that I make. Now, these aren't like identical versions because I don't have EQ, which is what I think is called electric quilter or electric quilt. This is a special software that quilters and quilt pattern makers use to design their patterns and blocks. Um, I don't have that. But what I like to do is if I make, for example, uh, four outfits, I make a dress and I make three shirts for my family. I will then take the scraps of that fabric and make a quilt block using the paper piecing technique, use a quilt block to make a shirt and a, and I'm sorry, I will take the scraps of the fabric to make a quilt block that looks like a dress and then a quilt block that looks like a shirt. And this is my kind of built-in documentation of the actual dress and shirt that I made. And my hope is that one day, if I can continue to do this, I haven't really been keeping up on pace with it because it's just a lot. But what would be nice is to have a whole quilt made out of years worth of garments that I've sewn. What I wanted to do at first was to make it like every year um, and to say, okay, this is something I made for March. And so then I'll make this almost like a block of the month club for myself. But I don't know, that's just something I might think about for later. But what, what I can say now is that currently in my sewing room, I have several really pretty quilt blocks that look like the clothes that I've made using the exact same fabrics of the, from, the, from the garment that those were made from. So that's been really a nice bit of documentation. 
Another thing that you might find in your scrap bin are going to be long, skinny pieces. It's not quite selvages, but these are long, narrow pieces that you might wonder, what on earth am I going to do with these? Um, I mentioned before how you can use them to practice and to diagnose stitches. But something I've also had great success with is taking those long pieces and turning them either into straps for a garment um, you could also use them if you um, take that long skinny piece and turn it into a tube and stitch it down on both sides. Then you have this really strong be- ribbon that you can use for decorative elements in other projects. You could also use them as waistbands for other projects. You could use them as facings. So um, particularly, I'd like to use this for facings because, you know, sometimes, if it, particularly if you do a good job of understitching, your facing isn't going to be seen from the outside of your garment that's it should never be seen but if you understitch which really does help the facing to lay down you can use a fabric that's not the same and so if for example you've run out or you've made a mistake as I said before or you just want to kind of give it a pop of color you can use these scraps as facings and if you want it to be a pop of color you can use it as a collar you could use it as a cuff you could use it as a belt these are all little things that you will need in to make an actual garment but this might be another way and that's something I I've had a good I've had good success with is saying, oh no, I need to get a waistband for this thing. I don't know if I have enough or a waistband facing. And, you know, and then you can pull it out from there. My all-time favorite scrap project has to be the time I made my very first pair of panties from what I fished out of the scrap bin. So one of the great things about the scrap bin is that there is a lot of different sizes and shapes. I've mentioned about the long skinny ones that are good to be either waistbands or collars or cuffs or belts. There's also like the big weird square chunks. Now, if this fabric is a woven fabric, you can fold it up and it can be a fat quarter and you can use it to make masks. You can use it to make um, craft projects. It can be a pocket on a purse. It can be anything, right? But if it's a, a knit fabric, a stretchy fabric, that's a bit harder. It's a bit harder to make fat quarter size projects with, in my opinion, It's a bit harder to make fat quarter size projects with knit apparel fabrics. So I had made a simplicity pattern. I think this might have been Mimi G's like wiggle dress with an off the shoulders. And I had purchased a a lovely peacock fabric, uh, an apparel knit fabric. I love peacock. And it was this um, four way stretch peacock fabric that I got from Joann's. This was a long time ago and I still have this dress and the way that the dress was cut, the way that the dress asks you to cut it is that because the front and back pieces are long pieces cut on the fold, it leaves you with a lot of excess. There was a lot of leftover fabric, like big, huge sheets of it. 
And so I just put it in the scrap bin and didn't think about it. I ran my tests. I checked the um, what my colors were going to be. I did all that. And then I decided to, and then I happened to just try get a panty pattern. I was like, well, I want to make underpants. I want to just see what this is like. And But I don't want to buy fabric for it because what if it doesn't work out? And what, again, this is a muslin. It is a draft. So I went in the scrap bin and I pulled out, I pulled out, these two pieces of this fabric, I cut the fronts, and this is a very simple pattern. You, panties usually are. You, it's a front and a back and a crotch in the middle or crotch lining, even if it's just a two-piece panty. Then there's bands that go around the waist, or you can use elastic. The waist and the legs have either elasticized uh, waist um, or bands, um, self-made bands. And I made those panties and they were so comfortable. And then that's when I got on my um, underwear sewing jag, which lasted until like right this minute. I still love making underwear. It's just so fast. It's so easy. It's so satisfying and rewarding. And um, it's like a way to keep um, your sewing close to your buns. <laughs> but that was a project that I, that really had its beginning in my scrap bin. And so again, having this fabric that I knew that I liked the way it felt on my body, I was, it was already pre-washed, it was all ready to go, that was, a, that was the way, that was the time when my, um, that was the time when my sewing bin became a treasure chest. It really did. I just fished it out. I was like, I, not only was I telling people, look, everybody, I made my draws. I was like, I got this out of my scrap bin. And it's like, well, who is this person? And why is she telling me that she made her underwear and that she fished it out of the out of her sewing trash? Like, that is the weirdest thing to tell another person. But um, it was true. And I was just so happy. Um, I think one of the words I think they use in England is the word chuffed. C-H-U-F-F-E-D, when you're really satisfied and happy having done something, that's what I was. I was so chuffed that I had made these and they fit and they were comfortable. And again, that was the beginning of the beginning of the lingerie sewing for me. And it all started because I took a dive into my scrap bin. So the panties were the most satisfying project that I was able to fish out of the scrap bin. But again, there's other ways that these odd size remnants, these odd size pieces can be useful. Um, for me, it was the the underpants. I still love that. It's also good for bras um, for the same reason, because they're larger chunks, but not really useful for any type of other forms of apparel projects. Similarly, if you save your tracing paper, if you trace a piece and you put the piece in the scrap bin or even your brown tissue paper, you can use those when you are altering your patterns. You take them and you you iron them out and those awkward shapes can be used to broaden the dart. They can be used especially for a full bust adjustment when you are doing a slash the slash and spread method for a pattern modification. All of these things are going to require a type of tracing medium or pattern paper. And if you've thrown your scraps in the scrap bin, then you can have them. Um, finally, one thing that you can use once you're ready to get rid of it and you're like, okay, that's enough. All right, Lisa, I've had this box for, I don't know, since 1973 and it's time to get rid of it. What do you do then? Well, you can check with your city and see if they offer textile recycling. I know that there's places like in New York City, you could the, you could drop off fabric. Um, there's places that take and collect fabric, and you can also use it as stuffing, as filler. 
color for pillows, for dog beds, as well as for um, those cushioned footstools. Now, I've never made one of those footstools. I'm very interested in it. People have been making them like sometimes they call them like a tufted cushion or something like that. But if you have a lot, not I wouldn't, of course, put my paper in there, like crispy paper. That's not comfortable to sit on. But your um, your soft fabric pieces, and you can use that to supplement any foam you might use. Um, and that can be something that you're kind of, as a way to get rid of it, as well as to reuse it at the same time. So if you've ever noticed that when you buy teddy bears um, from like a you know manufactured one, not like a homemade one, there'll be a tag on it that says this was made with new materials or 100% new materials. And I always wondered like, why does somebody, why does it have to say that? Well, apparently a long time ago, once upon a time in a galaxy right here in the United States of America, that companies, when they made teddy bears, they would not use like fluff, like, you know, fluff material, they would stuff them with anything. And so apparently there was a court case and this girl um, opened up her bear by accident and it was like floor sweepings in there and a nail and staples and all kind of just junk. And so I'm saying this to say that was a really terrible thing that happened to that child. <laughs> but And I'm glad the lawsuit, and why did the lawsuit have to happen for companies to stop putting actual garbage in products they gave to children? But it does give us an opportunity to think about for us in our own personal sewing rooms, if we are keeping, as I said before, a clean scrap barrel or a scrap bin that's not going to be filled with floor shavings and, um, you know, you know, again, ham sandwich crumbs, that this can be something that could last a really long time until you're ready to dump it all out and to reset it. But when the when you have that big um, dump, that big removal of the scrap bin, you know you're going to be putting it somewhere else. Like, okay, this will be, I know, for example, some animal shelters accept um, soft pillows um, for the animals um, that they have there. And so you can take, you, you can make a pillow cushion and stuff it with your soft fabric scraps, and it'd be something that could be appreciated. Again, check with your community to see what the rules are about this. But it doesn't have to go to waste, and this is a great way for us to build sustainability into our practice and to think really carefully about how we take care of the materials that bring us the joy of sewing. You've been listening to the Stitch Please podcast, the official podcast of Black Women Stitch, the sewing group where Black Lives Matter. We appreciate you supporting us by listening to the podcast. If you'd like to reach out with, to us with questions, you can contact us at blackwomenstitch at gmail.com. If you'd like to support us financially, you can do that by supporting us on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And you can find Black Women Stitch there in the Patreon directory. And for as little as $2 a month, you can help support the project with things like editing, transcripts, and other things to strengthen the podcast. And finally, if financial support is not something you can do right now, you can really, really help the podcast by rating it and reviewing it anywhere you listen to podcasts that allows you to review them. So I know that not all podcasts um, directories or services allow for reviews, but for those who do, for those that have like a star rating or just ask for a few comments, if you could share those comments and say nice things about us at the Stitch Please podcast, that is incredibly helpful. 
Thank you so much. Come back next week and we'll help you get your stitch together.